symbols are meant to be crystal clear, right? And uh, when, when they're done well, we know exactly what they mean without any words at all. But not all symbols are as clear as others. For instance, uh, mm, not so sure, right? What, what, mm, bicycle. Uh, but what if we add this? Obvious. We know. Uh, we want our symbols to be clear. It's not always possible. Uh, um, some symbols are more complicated. So there's another symbol in this uh, building, the most important symbol in, uh, in the church, but also in the world. What does the cross mean? What does it stand for? Uh, and probably there are a lot of ideas flowing in your mind. There are a lot of answers to that question. It's complicated. Uh, how do you get one single answer for a symbol? So uh, to be more precise, as ruby slippers equals the Wizard of Oz, the cross equals what? Let's take a look at that. As ruby slippers equals the Wizard of Oz, so the cross equals what? As you're thinking about that, uh, let me share with you a Gallup poll of what non-Christians think of Christians. And as they think of Christians, they think of the cross as well. Uh, so here's what they say about us. Hypocritical, uncaring, sheltered from the world, too political, and judgmental. Which is unpleasant to hear, right? Um, but a, a statistic that's closer to home for many of us who have raised our children in the church, and they've left. They haven't continued in the church. Um, what do they say? Well, um, of teenagers that grew up in church and then left after high school, 59%, more than, more than half, say uh, and describe the church as overprotective, shallow, anti-science, repressive, exclusive, and unsafe, for people with doubts. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? An awful lot of people think that the cross stands against things. They don't have any idea that it stands for something. So I want to change the equation and say, as ruby slippers equals the Wizard of Oz, so what equals Christianity? Uh, in any of the answers from the people who don't go to church, who are non-Christians or teenagers and who no longer go to church, or even in any of our answers, did anyone say love? Right? I think love, we would say, is one of those things. And uh, I think it's safe to say that if you said Jesus, many people would associate the word love with Jesus. So isn't there something wrong when... Uh, and isn't the church off the mark? Isn't there something missing in us becoming like Jesus? If, if people around the world, non-Christians, Christians alike, would associate love with Jesus, but not with his followers. Wow. Ouch. Um, on a top ten list of what people think of Christians, shouldn't love be somewhere near the top? 
So we've been looking uh, for nine weeks now at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Today we're going to focus on verses 6 through 14. Now you'll notice I jumped from 6 to 13 and 14. This is a very complicated argument that Paul is making about circumcision and uncircumcision. There's a lot in here. I've pulled out all of that just to focus specifically on what he says about love. And it says this, when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. We know this. It's familiar territory for us. And uh, we have been working our way through eight character traits of Jesus that we know the Apostle Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. So let me define it for us finally, uh, saying it this way. Spiritual fruit is what grows out of us because God's Spirit grows in us. Spiritual fruit is what grows out of us because God's Spirit grows in us. Uh, And so we've talked about joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And now we come all the way back because we started at the beginning. We skipped the first one, which is love, the most important, the greatest of them all. And when we started this series, I told you I didn't much care or feel much passion to communicate what's all the background and what's all the history around this and the context and what does the Greek mean. Uh, and the reason for that is that I, 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 I preach and teach this from the context of, of coaching us, of becoming more like this. Because I think in our day, Jesus is less concerned about what we know about love as how, as how skilled we are in practicing it. So it turns out, it isn't particularly helpful to know how many forms of love there are in Greek if we don't know how to express any of them in English. So let's work on that. Let's talk about love. Now, I learned something interesting about love from an orangutan and a Rottweiler. Uh, And uh, in 1992, there was a hurricane, Hurricane Andrew, in Florida, and it wiped out much of Miami, including a tourist attraction called Monkey Jungle. And at Monkey Jungle, there had been apes and gorillas and monkeys, all kinds of them, and uh, they were now scattered throughout the city. They were trying to collect them all. And a news crew had gone out to find, uh, to, to film destruction, what it, what it looked like, and they'd found a street where all the homes were completely destroyed, And uh, they were filming from one end of the street up to the other. And when they got to the one end, here comes an orangutan, just lumbering along, you know, paying nobody any mind. It it didn't notice the film crew, nothing. It just was moving along, just like this. And and then what was interesting is they, they, of course, that's the only thing going. They panned it. They followed that orangutan. And just when they got it going past them, you saw out in the distance, out from one of those rubbles, a Rottweiler come charging at this orangutan. 150 pounds of snarling dog. And his teeth were, oh my gosh. And I'm like, 
oh my gosh, we're going to see this poor ape just torn to pieces. Uh, and, uh, and they kept it on it, and, this, and sure enough, this dog just charged that orangutan, and it leapt in the air. But here's the interesting thing. The entire time you're watching that for seconds, that dog come, that orangutan's doing this. <laughs> it's not even noticing it. And when that got, dog got within two feet in midair, charging, teeth open, everything, at that dog, at that ape, Here's what the ape did. <laughs> Never even looked. And that dog, it just spiraled head over heels backwards, hit the ground, and slinked off. And uh, now in the months to come, uh, they kind of gathered them all up, those monkeys and apes, and I think monkey jungle exists again today. Um, but what struck me about that story is the power of that orangutan. I had no idea they had that. It didn't, it didn't break a sweat. It, didn't, it is as if it hadn't even noticed that it had backhanded this 150-pound Rottweiler. Uh, and and, and I, I thought about that for quite a bit. Uh, and it led to this first lesson about love. Restrain our orangutan. We need to control our power. It's amazing how much power that orangutan had. To, to, to smack, you know, that Rottweiler without even noticing. But it is nothing compared to the power we have to smack people without even noticing. That's what happens when we have certain habits or strengths, power, and we are completely unaware of it. We don't even notice that we're wielding it. And who do we wield it on most? The people we care most about, the people that we love, that we live with, our children, our spouses, our family, our, our coworkers, our friends, and without even noticing, we can smack them. These are the people who would, they would come to us like, starving people to food if what we offered them was the fruit of the Spirit, just, just kindness and, and words of compassion and peace. And yet what we so often give them is something completely different. Have you ever heard uh, someone uh, or have you uh, ever said, have you ever said or thought in your mind, what did I say? What did I do? I, I've thought that frequently. Uh, and usually we think that when, when someone we care about or someone we're talking to hangs up on us, uh, right, or gives us that look that could kill or gets up and walks out of the room. And as their back is leaving, you go, what did I say? Just like that orangutan, what? And do you know what that means? That means your orangutan is showing. It means you have smacked them without even knowing it. Uh, and it, it's certainly possible for all of us. We need to restrain our orangutan. Uh, and we begin to do that by realizing how powerful we are. Where are those areas of strength that we have that, are, that come so naturally to us we are not even aware of it? And once we begin to understand that, we can ask God to help us to restrain it. To say, to, to say Lord, would you please bring it to my 
conscious memory that I'm aw- help me be aware of this um, and the power to restrain our orangutan. And one way we can help that process is the second thing we, uh, we learn, and that is that not everything is a Rottweiler. Not everything is a threat. Sure, a 150-pound dog full of teeth is probably a threat, and the, 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 the orangutan was right to smack it. But so often, we, we consider things a threat that we need to be defensive about uh, when really, hmm, maybe not. Uh, not everything is a threat. Not everything that we disagree with or don't like is a threat. Uh, not every news item that we see on our phone or issues that we disagree with in the church are a threat. Not every affront that we experience in life deserves a reaction. Not every conflicting opinion requires an email or a tweet. Not everything and everyone is a Rottweiler. I saw this just this week. Uh, We were at a restaurant and we were walking out uh, at these two big double doors. Somebody else was walking in and here are these two little boys just playing at the door, having the time of their life. Not, you know, they don't notice anybody taller than two and a half feet. They're just playing around, and neither can they get in or we get out until these boys figure something out. And then we finally scoop by, and, and, and the other people walk in, and you can't help but miss, you couldn't miss somebody saying, boys shouldn't be playing around the doors. Really? Just needed to say that. Did we think that? Yes. Uh, but it, you don't have to smack them. They're not yours. It, it, we just are so used to it. Hey, I don't feel good about this. I think I'll express that. You, you know, we don't have to. We don't have to defend ourselves. One person I respect so much, he says he was practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. Do you know what that means? That means I don't have to protect my image. I don't have to prove to you that I'm right. I don't have to make sure you understand that who I am. He was like, no, they can have the last word because I don't have to uh, defend myself. In fact, I can trust God with my image, with my future, with, my, with, with who I am. I thought that was pretty good. Um, and in fact, while we're on the topic of God, he doesn't need our defending either. He's pretty big. He can take care of himself. Uh, when, and when someone is not a Rottweiler, when we don't have to defend ourselves against them, we can ask a very thoughtful question about any encounter that we have, any, in, uh, anything we read, any, any, any engagement that we have, and we can ask this, is what I'm about to do or say more important than loving this person? Wow. Because... I mean, I, I love to do uh, lots of things. Is that more important? Is, is what I'm about to do or say more important than loving this person? And listen, I know things are complicated. I'm not naive. We don't love everybody the same way. There are some challenging people in our lives. There are some way, places that we're not safe. We're not talking about that. Take all the hardest things, because what often happens is somebody up here talks to everybody out there, and everybody out there thinks of the worst possible situation. Well, you don't know. So, okay, take all of those, set them aside, deal with them later. Most of the people, most of the time, we could ask that question of, and it would make a difference.
Um, and let me just answer. Let me just answer it for us. Nothing is more important than loving this person. Nothing is more important than loving this person. And this is in those categories and situations where, where I want to defend myself or my belief or my church or my political party or whatever it is. Nothing's more important than loving this person. Um, do I want to present myself in the best light or even get a laugh? That's one of the things I go for, the cheap laugh. And it, really, is that, is that more important than loving the person? And the answer is, nothing is more important than loving this person. So let's take the Jesus test. I mean, after all, we're not trying to get the characteristics of anybody else. It's Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Do you have any examples uh, in the Bible where Jesus uh, put religious tradition or cultural expectations or personal interest above loving people? I can't think of any, but let's walk through a few uh, things that he did. The woman caught in adultery. Was it more important for Jesus to follow the long-standing theological rules of religion and stay in good graces with church leaders or love her? Uh, the leper wanting to be healed, was it more important to Jesus to stay ritualistically clean by not touching the leper or to show him love by touching him and healing him? And the centurion, now you know the, the story of the centurion is he came, this is a Roman soldier, he came to Jesus and said, would you heal my servant? And Jesus' assumption is, I have to go with this centurion and go into his home, which is uh, illegal according to religious law, uh, to heal his servant. So um, was it more important to Jesus to maintain the cultural traditions of his community and not enter a Roman soldier's home or to show love for that soldier and heal his servant? I think we know the answer to all of those. Um, but it's easy to say this when we're all together in this room and we all love each other, but this is a messy world. It's, it's not simple to begin to express love more and more. Um, and so how do we do it? Well, I say this, love by offering the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, well, wouldn't we have thought that would be a good thing to come up with since we've been talking about this for nine weeks? But these are the things that we can offer. These are the things God asks us to offer. You know, people used to be in the habit of sending fruit in the winter to other people. In the Midwest, dead of winter, it was awesome to find a box in your mail uh, of pears or apples or oranges, right? Oh, it was great. Now you can just get it at Costco anywhere you want. But at the time, it was this great thing. What if, what if you got a box and instead of oranges, it had orange branches and, and leaves and, and, you know, and roots? Who wants any of that stuff? Nobody. Nobody wants our structure, uh, you know, how we do things. They just want fruit which is all God asks us to offer them. He doesn't want us to give them all the rest of it. He wants us to give them fruit. Um, so why do we keep offering things to people that are not actually the things God wants us to offer them, which is our fruit? God intends for us to offer the fruit that grows out of us because his spirit grows in us. Um, I don't recall uh, in Scripture that God says love by defending our spiritual roots 
uh, like the traditions of the church that we attend, or that we should maintain the branches of our tree uh, by fighting for whatever our favorite ministry is, or you know the the style of music, or the treats that we have out on the patio. You know, these are the these are the things that that form us, but nobody wants them. They just want the fruit. Uh, and I don't think I remember God ever saying any of those things. But here, here, off the top of my head, here's what I do remember him saying. Love God, love one another, love your neighbor, and love your enemy. Who else is there? That's pretty much everybody. Um, so what can we offer that communicates love? Oh, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Wouldn't that be a good thing to offer someone? Now, here's the thing. We don't know which one they're going to need, so we're going to have to work on all of them. They, they all grow out of us, and, and that is a promise. As the Spirit lives in us, he's going to develop those fruits, out, that fruit out of us. Uh, and... Uh, Andy Stanley has this great question that I just have been stopped by. He has a book called, um, uh, gosh, my brain is going crazy. Uh, he has a book called Irresistible, which is about the church because he says, you know, Jesus was irresistible. We're not. What do we do about it? And he has this wonderful question uh, that we can ask, and it says this, what does love require? There you go. If in doubt, ask yourself the question, what does love require in this situation? With our loved ones, with our friends, with our coworkers, with people we meet, with social media, what does love require? We can forget all the rest and, and just ask that one question. And, and guess what it's going to require? Kindness, gentleness, some patience, self-control. Ah, Lucky for us, those are the things he's developing in us, right? So here's some next steps that we can take as we work through these. Decide on one fruit of the Spirit that you can work on. Now, we need to develop all of them, and it's, in fact, it's God who's going to be developing them in us, but if we'll focus on something, God will meet us, and, and you'll get some interest in one of them, and then you'll begin to study it, and then I'll, I'll give you a, a spoiler alert. Then you're going to fall on your knees and say, God, I don't have this at all. I need your help. And he's like, exactly. And, and we begin the journey as we recognize, as we, as we make an effort to start with one. Second, what, when, uh, when we find ourselves in a conversation or a situation that maybe is a little bit challenging, that maybe pushes our patience button, we simply ask Andy Stanley's question, what does love require? And third, think about how strong you are. Where's one of your strengths, one of the things that you're really good at, and begin to recognize that might be an orangutan in the wrong situation. We can use our strength in ways that are not helpful. Begin to work on restraining our orangutan. So last, I'll just say on what, uh, what practical basis, uh, practically speaking, what difference does it make if we are actually loving or not? I mean, 20 or 30 years from now, is anybody going to care if we practiced love? 
if we demonstrated, is anybody going to remember that one time they got love from us? Yes, <laughs> they will. And it was driven home to me recently. I was um, uh, at the Habit for the uh, dinner with the church, and I got to sit with uh, Gary and Alice Smith. And some of you know them, longtime members. Uh, and Gary gave me permission to tell this story about his son, Michael. More than 20 years ago, Gary was at another church in Simi Valley. Michael grew up there. Michael uh, was dying of AIDS. And uh, Gary went to the pastor of the church to arrange a memorial service. Now, can we just stop there? A father went to a pastor to talk about a memorial service for his son. That's about as rough as it gets. But before they could begin the conversation, the pastor said, we won't be having a memorial service for Michael because he's gay. That's rough. That's a, that's a tough thing for Gary to hear. Um, in, meanwhile, Michael is in hospice at a church in Burbank. Now, the pastor who had been the pastor, the previous pastor at, at Gary's church, had moved to a church in Claremont, 70 miles from here, 40 miles from Burbank. And when he heard that Michael was in the hospital, he drove the 40 miles back to Burbank to sit with him, to pray with him, to be with him. That's what love required. Michael passed away. 20 years later, at the habit, Gary remembers both pastors. He remembers both of their actions. He doesn't much remember anything about what either of them preached or what they said their doctrines were or what they said the Bible said. He just remembers what each of them did. Love God, love others. These three things exist, faith, hope, love. The greatest is love. What will we be remembered for? Let's pray.